0: well good morning it's good to be with you again Uh, thanks for having me Uh, i don't know about you but uh maybe you have this tradition still or maybe you grew up with it as a kid but our family we just last night we went and saw some uh, some christmas lights around the neighborhood sort of googled where in our area were the best decorated homes and uh, we didn't find too many but we found a couple there's something magical about that our kids I really love that. You can see the sort of the faces light up as they see homes that are decorated with the lights. It's amazing. There's something about that that's magical. Uh, It's nostalgic for me and uh, magical for the kids. And I I trust that's probably true of you. And Isaiah 9 is also, it's a passage in scripture um, in the Old Testament that um, it's fairly well known. And even if you're not maybe necessarily a regular churchgoer, you didn't grow up in the church you have probably at one time or another seen the words, heard the words, of uh, of Isaiah 9, particularly around the holidays, around the Christmas season. Maybe you've seen it on a Christmas card that you've received from somebody you know. You know the words: "For to us a child is born, uh, to us a son is given." And the question is, what's that all about? What 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 is Isaiah 9 all about? What are those words about? What is, what is this ancient prophecy about? Uh, so I'd invite you this morning to, um, to turn to Isaiah 9. It's the, if you don't have a Bible, it's, it's written for you in, uh printed out in the worship folder. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open them up to Isaiah 9 because I'm going to be referring back a little bit, a couple times, to Isaiah 8. And so it might be helpful just to peek back there real quick. Uh, but I'm going to read the words from Isaiah 9, and then we'll jump in. <laughs> Isaiah 9, 1-7. through 7. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to look at, this is a famous passage. You've probably heard it. You've probably read it, especially around the Christmas season. The question is, what's it all about? I want to look at just two questions, answering two questions from Isaiah 9 this morning. The first is, how do we deal with the darkness? How do we deal with the darkness that Isaiah 9 talks about? And then second, how do we discover the light? So how do we deal with the darkness and then how do we discover the light? Uh, I think it's easy, uh, I, and I hope you agree, it's easy to sentimentalize the Christmas season, the holiday season. Uh, it's easy to hear the Burl Ives and the and the Buble on your uh, Christmas playlist. It's, it's fun, but also easy to see Buddy the Elf and George Bailey and hope for a merry and bright Christmas. I think that's what we're all kind of hoping for, the nostalgia of that, the magic of that, But my sense is, maybe this year, particularly, collectively, for most people, uh, the idea of a bright holiday, the idea of a merry holiday, feels next to impossible for many of us. We're in a gloom. I recently read in the Wall Street Journal, this was just last week, uh, that holiday decor, Christmas lights, things that you could decorate outside of your house, the inside of your home, all of that decor stuff, just like toilet paper was months ago is sort of vanishing off the shelves Uh, so as an increasingly cold pandemic uh, that we are what that we are living in people are buying up more lights trees ornaments at a rapid pace this was in the wall street journal and so for me it's sort of like if 2020 wasn't bad enough i can't even find the christmas decor that i want uh, for my neighborhood or for my own home now see the prophecy of isaiah uh, the whole book of Isaiah, this passage in particular, might seem very historically or culturally removed from you. It's talking about battle tumult and garments rolled in blood, and uh, you know the land of Zebulun. Those things and places might seem relatively distant from you, but in at least one reality, I think Isaiah is it. It, it probably couldn't be more relevant, and that's this reality we are people walking in darkness, just like the people that Isaiah was speaking to. We are people walking in great darkness. That's an important theme throughout Isaiah 9. Uh, You see it repeated in the first couple of verses uh, that the people were in gloom. Uh, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They were dwelt in a land of deep darkness. You see it repeated in the first couple of verses. And in fact, one of the one of the words that Isaiah uses is a word that's used by the Old Testament poets to describe um, the shadow of death. Uh, you remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe those of you who were here, we looked at Psalm 23. It's the same word to describe the, sha- the valley of the shadow of death. Isaiah uses it here to describe uh, this sort of deep gloom, this deep darkness that the people in Isaiah 9 were dwelling in. And that's certainly talking about our mortality. It's talking about uh, the limits of, our, our, of us as finite human beings, but it 's also talking about all of the little deaths that you and I experience over the course of our lives. deaths in our relationship, uh, deaths in our careers, setbacks in our careers, uh, deaths in our home in terms of, in terms of just the, the ordinary grind of life where you feel like kind of like you 're dying in some respect, not just your mortality but in other ways. Uh, it's sort of the gloom. Isaiah's talking about the gloom, the shadow that is cast over all of life uh, that you and I can't escape from. Uh, he's talking about darkness and 2020 has been a dark year, right? Uh, just as Carl prayed, we're in the throes of a pandemic, uh, the, the likes of which, you know, most of us haven't experienced before. Uh, we've experienced one of the most confusing and polarizing Election cycles that that I can recall. Uh, most people I talk to, older than me, can't remember a time when uh, the nation was so polarized and so divided. We have economic instability and uncertainty. Uh, think about the last couple of months: protests in the streets, riots in neighborhoods, neighbor against neighbor. Uh, that's dark. That's our our nation, our neighborhoods, our world is dark. We are experiencing darkness in ways that we never imagined, maybe. Um, I saw a headline just last week. Uh, So that's all out in the world, right? But I saw a headline this week, and I see them increasingly more and more that just remind me of the darkness of our own hearts, Uh, the darkness of where we live. I saw an article just last week about a fourth-grade student in Oregon who took their own life. I was talking with a mom of three boys this past week, and her, old, her youngest is 17, year old, 17 years old in his senior year of high school and experiencing depression and anxiety like he's never experienced before just because of all the things that he's dealing with, all of the mental health challenges that are brought about uh, due to isolation and the feeling like we're never going to get back to normal and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, our world is dark, but we are experiencing darkness in profoundly personal and harmful ways. And that could be you right now, uh, struggling maybe to get out of bed. Uh, maybe you are have, in this past year, experienced the death of someone you loved or that's uh, moments, holidays like this sort of bring those wounds back afresh. The, the fact that you experienced loss of someone who was close to you. You could be grappling with an acute illness or maybe even something that uh, it's maybe low grade and not many people know about it, but it just makes ordinary life a grind, maybe a holiday, the holiday season, maybe the Christmas season, brings about a certain level of gloom for you. It reminds you of past regrets or uh, addictions that your family struggled with, that sort of made family life very challenging. Maybe you are have a sense of isolation. You can't see loved ones and friends this holiday season, and so there's just a gloom over over this season. Uh, maybe you experienced abuse when you were younger, and uh, holiday season getting together with family sort of brings out some of that, uh, some of that past trauma. How do you, the question is how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that kind of darkness that Isaiah nine is talking about? Well, if you flip back to the chapter before in Isaiah eight, uh, Isaiah spells out some of the ways in which the people of Israel, the ancient Hebrews, dealt with the darkness themselves. And Isaiah points out two very wrong ways that the people of Israel tried to deal, tried to confront, tried to face the darkness in their own hearts and in their society. Uh, And there were two wrong ways. You might say that they feared the wrong fears and they sought the wrong strategies. They feared the wrong fears and they sought the wrong strategies. Uh, So if you don't have a Bible, if you have a Bible, you can flip back to Isaiah 12. Uh, But look how they, um, 8 verse 12, um, Look how they feared the wrong fears. In Isaiah 8, verse 12, it says, Do not call everything a conspiracy these people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. Now, see, part of the problem for the ancient people of Israel was that they lived in fear. Uh, and to understand, like you have to understand from a human point of view that anxiety and terror that they were experiencing was, from a human point of view, very justified. Um, they were facing, the ancient people of Israel that Isaiah was speaking to, was facing one of the most brutal and devastating military powers in the ancient Near East, uh, the Assyrians. They were, a, they were a, an empire that was brutal, that was horrific. Um, the, thing, the historical accounts that you, we have on record... To describe what the Assyrians did to their enemies would make your stomach churn. They were a horrific people. And that political and social and cultural threat caused not just fear for the ancient Hebrews, but just outright paranoia. That's what Isaiah says. They, they were just full of conspiracies and paranoia, the whole, the whole land of Israel. Now, let me ask you, uh, just as I said a moment ago, Isaiah 9 might seem culturally distant from you, but like think about that for a moment. Has anything really changed? I mean, you don't have to be on social media for more than five minutes to hear about all of the paranoia that is just gripping our society as a whole, uh, collectively, fear, conspiracies. And I'm not talking about sort of Area 51 UFOs, things like that. Those are fun and sort of, okay, yeah, it's fun to... Uh, think about those things but i 'm talking about kind of a fear driven paranoia uh, that sees the people over there or that tribe or that political party or those sort of those these operatives in the deep state as trying to get you uh, trying to ruin your life and from a certain sense it kind of makes sense you 're looking i think we 're all looking for answers we're cer- we 're seeking uh, the writing of certain wrongs in our world we 're trying to wade through all of the things that we 're hearing and get at some sort of truth or certainty amidst all the propaganda and everything that we 're reading. But I think at, at some level some of us are facing or we 're fearing the wrong fears, just like the ancient people of israel we 're fearing the wrong fears. and Isaiah says in chapter eight, "You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy." Only he should be feared. See, Israel lived in deep darkness. They were experiencing horrific evils, politically and socially. But Isaiah calls them away from, out from, fearing everything that surrounded them from a human point of view and forgetting God and not fearing the Lord of armies. Now, friends, Christmas is certainly a season of... of, glad tidings it's a season of great joy but before we face sort of the good news before we hear the good news the glad tidings of hope and joy and peace you have to face the bad news that we as individuals we as people have not feared the Lord of armies as we ought we have not regarded God as holy we've not feared the God of the Bible as we should and in many ways the darkness that you and I experience regularly is because humanity has forgotten God we've ignored God we've tried to do life without God we've tried to find security and certainty apart from him and his word you might say that we fear the wrong fears but uh, the people of Israel they feared the wrong fears but they also sought the wrong strategy they sought the wrong strategies in the course of their life and that's true of us as well So you can look at Isaiah 8, verse 18 through 20, where Isaiah is talking and he says, this is where the people of Israel were encouraged to seek help. He says, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter. In Isaiah's day, it was false spiritualities. Uh, It was seeking the wrong strategies in false spiritualities and sort of pagan rituals. And we certainly have that in 2020. People, especially young people, are increasingly uh, looking to things like astrology and mysticism and energy readings and energy auras uh, to help make sense of their life, to give their life meaning and purpose and direction. Um, But I think more prevalent than that, and maybe astrology isn't your thing, but maybe there's a certain level where we look to things like politics and technology uh, as, 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 as the things that might bring us help and hope when things go wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are important. Uh, Equitable social structures, competent and moral and wise leaders, um, innovative and helpful technology. Those things are all good. Uh, Hopefully, we, we have politicians and governors and mayors and presidents who are competent and moral and make wise decisions. Hopefully, we are developing technologies that help rid the world of certain things that are that are bad and 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 things like disease but here's the reality those things can't ultimately dispel the gloom of our life Uh, they can't ultimately dispel the deep darkness that isaiah is talking about getting your political party or the politician that you love into office won't ultimately vanish the darkness uh, the release of the new iPhone won't stop death. No technology can or will. Um, right? We're hopeful about a COVID vaccine that might knock out this pandemic. At the same time, the mortality rate for every single human being is still ultimately 100%. And there's no technology. There's no president. There's no king that can ever do away with that. The shadow of death will be with us still. And the question is, how have you faced, how do you face uh, that kind of bleakness, that kind of darkness in whatever form, economically, socially, relationally, mentally, um, politically? How do you face the darkness? How do you deal with it? How do you deal with it in 2020? How do you deal with it when 2021 arrives? See, Isaiah and his audience, they needed, just like I think we do today, they needed um, tidings of comfort and joy, just like the old Christmas carol says. They needed to be released from their fears and their sins. They needed light, and we do too. So the question is, how do we get it? How do we discover the light that Isaiah 9 is talking about? How do we, how do we reach it? Well, first, that's the second question uh, that I hope to answer. How do we discover the light? How do we discover the light in Isaiah 9? First, Isaiah wants us to see where the light is coming from. He wants us to see where the light actually dawns because he's being very geographically specific. He's not talking about sort of some inner light that sort of bubbles up from within you. Uh, He's not talking about personal enlightenment that you can receive through religion or mysticism or education. Uh, He's not even talking about sort of the Christmas spirit or the gingerbread feeling that we get and that we love to hear uh, when the the, the holiday season comes uh, along. He's talking about real places. He's talking about verifiable locations that you can see on a map. Uh, real objective history. Uh, that's why he mentions places like Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, well, what, what, what are those places? Galilee of the nations. What is he talking about? Well, if you know your Old Testament, um, you might be familiar with those names. They're a little bit obscure, but they refer to two of the 12 tribes of Israel. See, the kingdom of Israel was made up of 12 tribes that corresponded with uh, the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of Israel, who was the grandson of, of Abraham in the book of Genesis. And Zebulun and Naphtali were two of the sons, and their clans were given land in the northern part of the kingdom. And that was good land, except for the fact that it became the first region that would be crushed by the Assyrian superpower. That's the area that became eventually repopulated by the Assyrians and the Hittites and other Canaanite tribes. And so, for an observant and religious Jew, the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee of the nations, was a place that was despised. See, nothing good could ever come from the north. You might say that no light. A a religious Jew, an observant Jew, would never say that light dawned from the land of Zebulun. Uh, Nothing good came from from Galilee of the nations. And yet, you know what, friends? It's here. It's in that place that Jesus pitches his tent. It's into the neighborhoods of Zebulun and Naphtali that Jesus moves into. You might say, well, I thought, don't the Christmas carol say something about Jesus being born in Bethlehem? Yes, he was born in Bethlehem. But as a young child, as a young boy, he was raised in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, in the land of Galilee of the nations. His family raised him in the town of Nazareth, which was in Galilee. Uh, And it was from the north that Jesus launched his rescue operation of the entire world. In fact, in Matthew, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew quotes this passage from Isaiah 9, in effect saying, the light has dawned. The coming of Jesus means that Isaiah 9 is fulfilled, that Jesus is the one fulfilling it. Now, I know that you didn't wake up this morning to come and hear a, a, a lesson on, uh, on on Israelite and Hebrew geography. So why does any of that matter? Why does, why does the fact that Jesus came from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali? why does that matter? Well, think about it. God chooses the land of Zebulun, to launch his rescue operation. The land of Zebulun, not Rome. He chooses Naphtali, not Athens. His rescue plan begins in Galilee, not where you might think it might come from, the temple in Jerusalem, a place of importance and respectability. And that should tell you one thing. It should tell you that the things that impress people do not impress God. Places like Rome and Athens... The places and people that the world considers important and significant don't dazzle God. The institutions that the world thinks are particularly important, God doesn't have any need of them. You know who God has his attention on? You know who God thinks are important and significant? It's the nobodies. It's the no-names. It's the losers. It's the unimpressive And that's a theme that's played out over and over again if you read your Bibles. Uh, God chooses a hundred-year-old man and his wife, who are barren and without kids, to bring a son into the world, to bring laughter to the world. God sets his love and his affection on the ugly and mistreated wife, Leah. And from Leah comes the important tribe of Judah. God raises up that teeny weeny brother of a family of shepherds, the King David himself to be the the greatest king that Israel ever knew. And at the climax of history, at the very center of history, God himself is born of a poor teenage girl. Why? It's because, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, God's foolishness is wiser than our wisdom. His weakness is stronger than our strength. And friends, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he is the God who has his heart and his eyes fixed on those who are unimpressive and nobodies and no names, then if you are feeling that way today, if you are feeling that way right now, then you can be sure that he has his heart and his mind and his eyes fixed on you. So the light comes to Zebulun. Uh, to Naphtali, to Galilee of the nations, to the nobodies. The next question is, who is the light? See, as, the, as, as we've said, the first hearers of this prophecy, they walked in gloom and in deep darkness. But a light dawned, a brilliance pierced the darkness. And Isaiah says he identifies that light with a person, He says that the light came and it was a person. It wasn't a political platform or a self-help program or a philosophy. It was a person. It was someone who would bring joy to the world. Someone who would shatter oppression and restore justice. And the question is, who is that light? Who is the light that pierces the darkness? That makes the sophisticated military technology of Isaiah 9 just as fuel for the fire. Verse 6 of Isaiah 9 says that it's a child. That it's a baby. A child is born for us. A child is the one that pierces the darkness. That's the wonder of Christmas. That's the mystery of Christmas. That the darkness wasn't dealt a death blow through military might and oppression, it wasn't dealt its death blow by you pulling yourself together or with everyone getting the right education, or with society developing the right technology, the darkness vanished in Isaiah 9 because of the birth of a child. And verse 6 says he's born. This child is a human being. He's born. But he's no ordinary human, right? You read As you continue to read in Isaiah 9, attributes and titles uh, sort of are given to this child that seem to kind of almost burst the bounds of anything that a mere ordinary human would possibly be capable of, right? The government of the world rests on this child's shoulders. This child is mighty God, the Prince of Peace. This child's kingdom will be established forever. This is a child, but he's no ordinary child. This is God himself come in the flesh. This is God with skin and bones on. This is God, you might say, in diapers. God who teethed. God who got runny noses. The creator created. The infinite made finite. The immortal dressed in our mortality. There's a poem I discovered um, or came across again uh, this holiday season by the 16th century poet John Donne. And in this poem... He's, he's describing or trying to put into words uh, the announcement of the angel to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Dunn, I'll, I'll read a couple of lines from this poem, uh, but he's, he's it's as if the angel is speaking to Mary, and this is what Dunn writes. He says, Thou art now, thou Mary, art now thy maker's maker and thy father's mother. Thou hast light in dark and shuttest in little room immensity cloistered in thy dear womb see what he's saying there is uh this is the mystery of mysteries that the light of the world light of light very god of very god as one of the old creeds says fit into the darkness the smallness of mary's womb he became cloistered in the womb of the virgin mary the light of the world entered into that darkness and Jesus, whose Isaiah is ultimately speaking about, Jesus stepped into our darkness by entering into it, by himself becoming one of us. And if that wasn't enough, if it wasn't enough for God himself, the Son of God, to enter into our darkness by becoming a zygote in the darkness of Mary's womb, in the smallness of Mary's womb, then friends, you need to know that just as his, the beginning moments of his life were spent in darkness, so at the very end of his life, as he was hanging on the cross, there was supernatural darkness that surrounded him and the whole world. It was as if to say, it was as if to say God was saying this, all the darkness, all the gloom, all the trouble, all the gloom and darkness of your sin, all of the things that that weigh you down, that make you sad, that make you grieve and weep, all of your shame, all of your secrets, all of it is being put on this Jesus. All of it is being put on my son, the child that's given for you, and he will bear it so that you don't have to. He'll be swallowed up by that darkness so that you and I can walk in his life and in his light. Friends, that's the good news of Christmas. That's the tidings of comfort and joy. And as I close very briefly, let me just suggest to you three, three very brief ways that those glad tidings, the announcement that Jesus has come to take your darkness, to absorb it, to dispel it, so that you can walk in light. Three very practical ways on, on how that changes you. First, the Christmas light. Jesus, the Christmas light, should humble you. If it does nothing else, it should humble you. What the Christmas light says is, your darkness, my darkness, is so deep. We are so gloomy that the Son of God needed to become a baby. The Son of God needed to die on the cross in darkness to bring you into light. Whatever else it teaches you, it should make you humble. Second, the Christmas light should relax you. That's what Isaiah says, look, this son is given. It's a child who is given. What do you do for a gift? You don't do anything. All you do is open your hands and receive it. Christianity is a message that says you don't need to perform. You don't need to work. You don't need to serve or achieve or accomplish anything. You don't have to qualify. It's about a son who is given. Christmas is about a gift that's given to you freely by God's grace. All you merely do is open your hand and receive it. And so the Christmas light Says that you can relax, you can rest. So it should humble you, you should relax, and third, it should bring you great joy. This Christmas light should bring you great joy. That's verse 3 of Isaiah 9. This dawning light, this child born for you, it should fill you with joy. Christians, followers of Jesus, should be the most joy filled people in all the world. And that doesn't mean you don't cry, it doesn't mean you don't weep, it doesn't mean you don't lament. These are things that Jesus himself did. It's part of being human in a fallen world. But followers of Jesus have a source of unparalleled hope and joy. We have resources for joy that the world has never tasted. It's the joy that Isaiah says it's better than a promotion or a year-end bonus. It's better than a championship victory. It's the joy of knowing that you get all the spoils of a battle that you did not fight. You get all the credit for work that you did not do. That's the message of Christmas, that you and I have all the righteousness, all the glory, all the significance, all the worth of the King of Kings. And all you have to do is open your hand and receive it. So friends, I would invite you to do that this morning again. Receive the Christmas gift. Receive the good news of Christmas. That the night is almost over. That the, the darkness is almost over. The light has dawned. And God's passionate zeal, his love, his affection, his undying love for you will accomplish it. Friends, that's the good news. You can go in that hope and Merry Christmas. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us a child. Uh, that you've given us a Son, Jesus, uh, the God man, the one who dwelt with you in in unceasing and never ending joy and light and life, and yet stepped out of that. He tasted our gloom, tasted our tasted our sadness, uh, tasted even death itself, so that we could be brought into life and into your light. We're thankful for this gift. We pray, Father, that it would humble us, that we would know our sins even deeper, the darkness that o- that overshadows us, overshadows our world, uh, the gloom that's in our hearts, that it would humble us to know that the Son of God became a human being to dispel that. And Father, we pray that we would relax, especially in a holiday season where things can get increasingly busy, uh, that we would know that... This is not a gift that we earn or qualify for, but instead it's been given to us freely. May that bring us great joy, Father. And may to you be all the glory and praise. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.